the rule of sales has always been the top 20% will earn 80% of the commission, like the Pareto principle, that's always applied. I think the accelerator from technology is only going to widen that gap. Top performers, they're not looking for shortcuts, they're looking for accelerants. They're going to use AI, they're gonna use technology to go execute what really good point of view building looks like, what really good territory planning looks like, what really good sales motion looks like. They're going to accelerate it with technology and they're going to become more valuable. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Danny the Rev coming to you for this week's episode with someone who has had an illustrious career in sales, but describes themselves as an introvert. So already an unconventional take on a profession that historically has been dominated by those extroverts. He'll talk about that at the end of the episode. But who do we have in store if you don't recognize salesintroverts.com creator, Kyle Acey, RVP of Sales in North America for MongoDB. He's coming to us with some really interesting opinions, particularly as a top performing revenue leader with a really strong and distinctive background, consecutive years going to Presence Club. He's all about maintaining the human side of sales. And in particular, he talks about in this episode that while there's more and more technology, especially AI, that's coming into how he handles the workload as being an RVP at Mongo, he says that the data and the AI can support or stimulate or trigger his hypothesis. But nonetheless, the unavoidable closing step has to be applying human context to the job at hand. I don't want to steal Kyle's thunder, so if you want to hear from someone who has cemented their name in the history books as a leader and a performer that we cannot possibly forget, go ahead, get a snack, get cozy, and tune in to this week's episode with Kyle Acey. DJ, spin that. Ladies and gents of Reveal, welcome back to another riveting weekly episode. Someone who outguns me by a country mile as far as influence, followers, and just a wealth of experience. Someone who was at Qualtrics for just shy of nine years. In that time, five consecutive years of P-Club attainment. Started, cut his teeth as an SDR, matriculating all the way to a second line leader. In that time, what did he see along the way? He saw growth, but importantly, he saw an acquisition by SAP. He saw the divesting of that. He then saw them going public only to land as an RVP in the last 12 months at Mongo. The guy's been promoted from running a portion of the company to all of North America, the RVP of high tech, a man boasting nearly 32,000 followers. And as he describes on his LinkedIn, when he's not hitting people up on Slack or on Clary, he's writing literature to make you all as successful as he is. It is with our humblest of honor that we welcome to the Gong Studios, Kyle Acey. Welcome to the Reveal. Thanks, Danny. That was quite the, that's my, my favorite intro of all time. So thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, man. Honestly, let's just cut it here. <laughs> like, it's not going to get any better than that, right? <laughs> Kyle, you come on the heels of an episode we recorded a few months back with your colleague, James Underhill. And for listeners that missed that episode, James is the Senior Director of RevOps and Strategy over at Mongo, so a peer of Kyle's. And one thing, just to jog your memory, 
it was riveting to hear James in his approach to standing rev ups on its head. Talk about at Mongo, culturally, you guys really lean into this idea of revolutionizing your roles. And Kyle, what I find so fascinating, given your perennial track record of indisputable success and stuff that you've published on salesintroverts.com. So listeners, if you want to see more of Kyle's stuff, that's where you can go. You are doing a lot in spite of all the pressures that you feel, whether it's at Qualtrics or Mongo, to maintain vigilant commitment to the humanizing aspects of sales and sales leaderships, which is not always the case when Wall Street or investors or leadership internally are demanding excellence and at no cost, we must succeed. Well, talk to us a little bit about how you balance who we're working with internally inside the four walls of organizations, which are human beings. Let's start there. I, uh, when I was at Qualtrics and high-pressure situations, I would try to defuse it and say, look, at the end of the day, we're, we're selling survey software. Yeah. I, I would get in trouble for that because it was experience management, but I would say that because it, it's, just a, it's just a job, right? At, at Mongo, it's similar. It's like, look, we, this is a job. We want to do well, but at the end of the day, it's just database software. It's not the end of the world. I've found that when people take a step back and have perspective, it often encourages better performance. I've never had somebody perform better if I said, we have to win this deal. Or if we have this outcome, we're going to fail and we can't recover from it. Nobody performs better under that kind of unhealthy pressure. When I humanize it and make it clear that we want great results because it it benefits us personally and the company, but if we don't succeed right now, we're going to pick ourselves back up and get after it again. It, it, it balances. I think one other aspect that I've really tried to hone in on is checking the controllable versus the uncontrollable. My mantra for probably the last five or six years has been, I will never get upset as long as two things are true. We made a great plan and we executed that plan. Now, if we don't make a great plan or if we agree on a plan, don't execute, I'll get upset. Like I'm not this just like, Oh, no matter what happens, I'll be happy. That's not the case at all, right? There's still accountability. There's, there's still vigilance around excellence. But ultimately, I'm all about perspective, controlling what we can control. And as long as we execute, I'm going to live with the outcome, good or bad. When we hear you talk about engendering this level of trust and imbuing safety into your team, it sounds like if they live up to your two expectations, which would be set a great plan and then live up to it, you can't be mad. And even if we fall short of the goals, that that satisfies your requirements. I'm wondering if that on one hand is okay, but then on the other side, if you're sitting in the middle as a second line leader, you have upper management or you have the board or you have investors who are breathing down your throat. Be like, hey, why did we miss? Have you ever found yourself in that unenviable position where you have to reconcile the two? Yeah. And um, when, it, when it comes to that, I, I, had to, I have to go take ownership, right? Because if my org... If my org does not produce the results expected, regardless of if we had a good plan and executed it, I still have ownership of that. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, I have to go to the QBR or whatever the presentation is, and I need to say, we fell short in this area. Here's why I think it happened. Here's where the plan didn't go well. Here's where our efforts didn't work out. Here are the changes we're going to be making. But the reality is I've been lucky to work with really, really good leaders in my career. And so even when we fall short... As long as I'm coming to the table with, hey, here's a diagnosis, here's what went wrong, here's our plan to improve in the future, here's what I expect to happen, they're like, all right, let's, let's roll with that. 
I would imagine it's very, very different if I were to show up and say, I don't have a plan. We failed and I'm okay with it. That would probably be a very different conversation. But I need to give a lot of credit to the environment I've been in with really great executives and senior leaders that when we do fall short, they have a similar mentality of, well, what's the plan to improve? How are we going to course correct? And then they give me the autonomy to go execute and turn things around. Really refreshing just to hear that there's accountability up and down the chain of command. There's accountability for your team to follow the plan that's agreed upon. And then even in spite of that plan, if it's a failure, failure is probably too strong of a word, but you still exercise the accountability with your leadership. That's fantastic to hear. I want to talk a little bit as you maintain this vigilance in preserving the humanity of sales in spite of the incredibly, incredibly fierce and high pressures that you contend with. Well, does the application of technology, does that give you any breathing room to exist in this high pressure environment? And if so, how do you balance the utilization and adoption of technology, but not over rotate so far in technology adoption that it again gets us back into this dehumanized state? Yeah, technology. I, I love data. I love systems. I love process. I love scale. But if there's one thing I've learned in sales leadership, it's that every point of data has context that is not represented in the data. And so what I'm really careful to avoid is making decisions based on what I see in data. For example, I might see data that would suggest a rep is lazy or a team isn't being developed. I cannot go roll out new processes, new decisions, performance management, just based off of the hypothesis. And so my rule is data can be used to get a hypothesis. It cannot be used to finalize a decision. So I get my hypothesis, then it's on me to go get context from people to either prove or disprove the hypothesis and then make the decision of how we're going to course correct. As data serves as the genesis for your hypothesis, but then you complement that, we'll say, initial conjecture with human context, there's a lot of paranoia going around in the world of sales and just B2B in general. What is the balancing act of AI? And will it supplant and replace a lot of our jobs? Being so data-driven yourself, where do you address those legitimate concerns and what is the party line? Maybe not for your employer, but what is Kyle's party line if you're at liberty to share? How we can responsibly integrate AI alongside the human dimension of the context you talk about? I might be completely in denial. I probably am. I do not think that there are any shortcuts, though, for successful sales. I do think there are accelerators. I think there are ways that we can significantly decrease the time to value or, or, or improve our speed for getting insights about an account. So what I think that means is the, the rule of sales has always been the top 20% will earn 80% of the commission, like the whole Pareto principle that's yep. always applied. Mm -hmm. I think the accelerator from technology is only going to widen that gap. I think top performers they're not looking for shortcuts. They're looking for accelerants. They're going to use AI. They're going to use technology to go execute what really good point of view building looks like, what really good territory planning looks like, what really good sales motion looks like. They're going to accelerate it with technology and they're going to become more valuable. That's going to be the cream of the crop sellers that are going yeah. to absolutely dominate their peers. I think they're going to be pretty good performers 
that are going to try to replace a lot of what they do with AI and technology, but they're not going to be accelerating what best-in-class sales looks like. They're just going to be leveraging technology. They're going to do okay. And then there's going to be the, the performers that really do nothing with technology and they don't run a great process and they're going to struggle. And I mean, for however long sales has been around, there have been people that have struggled and have lost their jobs because of it. I do think, though, that the gap between a top performer and the bottom performer will get wider as one party accelerates and one party does not. Whether or not that means a reduction in sales force, I, it, at some point, maybe. But I, I do think there will always be value for people that understand the human elements of sales and a massive advantage to those that can accelerate everything they do in sales with the use of tools that are being created right now. You talk about AI and technology being the catalyst for even more pronounced stratification between the winners and the losers in sales. And it takes me back to an episode we recorded almost a year ago where we had a guest, a fellow Kyle, and he used the analogy as people examine, is there a place for AI in our world? He talked about the contrast between the Terminator versus Iron Man and the Terminator and all of the paranoia surrounding the rise of the machines and resisting and inevitably the machines steamroll that resistance versus Iron Man who harnesses, who capitalizes the advantages and the powers that come from technology and conveniently your assessment of those top performers that lean in to the force multiplier of technology in how they do things certainly aligns with what we're hearing thought leaders like yourself evangelize that there is capacity for both the human and the tech side of things to coexist harmoniously. And it's then how you slot them together. I do want to ask a question, Kyle. Has there ever been a time where in spite of the yields of efficiency that technology can provide, have you ever still put your foot down and said, I, I don't want to adopt this piece of technology or I don't want to institute this complementary function because while it will yield efficiencies, it will come at the expense of humanity and humanizing our profession. Does anything come to mind? I don't know if I'd go to the extreme of it would damage the humanizing aspect. Uh, trends that I have been generally opposed to have been using automations for everything. Mm -hmm. right? And this is even before the advent of AI. But anything that includes you completely outsourcing the key part of your job, like opening conversations with some another human, I, I don't think that should be replaced by AI. Um, from a practical standpoint, even use cases like account prioritization, I think requires a human element. Because yeah. while there is certainly advantage to highlighting accounts that have a high propensity to spend, based on all the data that AI can pull in and crunch against your company's ideal TAM, there's still the element of as a seller, how well do you understand that company? If you actually go land a conversation with their CFO and CEO, because AI told you it was the perfect account for your business, and then you're like, well, I don't even know what this company does, then that's a missed opportunity, right? And so it goes back to while AI might get me to a list of likely great accounts much faster than I would have gotten to with my old method of hand scrubbing thousands of accounts, it shouldn't completely replace the human element of, okay, but what is my level, as a what is my level of familiarity as a seller with this account? Yeah. Does it actually make sense to go after just because AI told me it was the highest propensity account? Just want one example of that. 
really solid answer. So Kyle, one thing I'd love to hear your thoughts on because we've discussed there are ways where we can over-rotate in the use of technology and lose sight of, as you described, the data catalyzing hypothesis, but the human context then informing your conclusion or decision-making process. On the flip side of that coin, well, we as human beings, we understand that we have conscious and unconscious bias. That is part of the human psyche. And I'm wondering with people management, it's hard not to succumb to some of those biases, but can we actually get in front of those tendencies by complementing what is inevitably a byproduct of human psychology with the data more impartially or objectively informing how we coach reps? Uh, you, you can, as long as you go in the right order, because data by itself does not help you prevent bias, I don't think. If I have a bias towards a rep or towards a leader, mm-hmm. I can look at a set of data and I can find some way to validate the bias that I have because bias is that strong. So what's important to do is to actually decide well in advance of a quarter, a year, whatever it is, what are the objectives, what does good look like, and how are we going to measure that? Mm -hmm. That way, when I go look at the data, I know exactly what I'm looking for. I know under what time period I'm looking for it in. And I can't have this, well, let me kind of evolve what I think good might look like to fit my bias that this is not a hardworking rep or this is not an effective leader. If I don't decide ahead of time of looking at the data, my bias will still creep in. So yes, we can use data to avoid bias, but we have to agree well before the analysis what expectations are, how we're going to measure, and what good actually looks like. And even talking about instituting those guardrails, we then even talk about the ethical or legal considerations that might factor into making sure that everything is above board. Do you have any thoughts on as we see the advancement of technology and analytics and data find themselves more regularly, I don't know, part and parcel with our people management, would you expect that in our lifetime, we are going to see some legal application of what is and isn't permissible? I would. I think any, any new technology is going to bring new legal ramifications. I think I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll way oversimplify. I'll way oversimplify here and maybe just out of my own ignorance of the, the broader topic. But I think a really good rule of thumb for any executive, any leader to look like is what is the intent of the technology? Is Uh the intent to go extract every dollar of value from the employee, regardless of their longevity at your company, regardless of their trajectory as as a professional? Or is the intent to go make your company stronger by making every individual in the company stronger? If your intent is we're going to go build a great company by getting every single person to hit their capacity as a professional you're going to have a really hard time going wrong. You're going to have a lot of success deploying all these accelerants. If your intent is how do we go use this technology to drag every single ounce of production from this person up to the point where they burn out and they just leave your company, but they added a lot of value to the bottom line, then yeah, you're, you're probably going to come across ethical issues. You're probably going to come across some legal issues, especially in a lot yeah. of markets that are very employee, positive, very employee protective. But man, like I really hope that as people are looking at these accelerants, it's not just to make the company better, it's to go build a really strong, productive, intelligent, high capacity workforce. Because yeah. that's going to pay off this quarter, next quarter, and for years down the line, right? And your LinkedIn, you talk about the infancy of your sales career. It was a begrudging pivot to becoming an SDR. That was about 10 years ago. 
and the world looked very different 10 years ago. And your role as an SDR looked very different than as an RVP now of one of the hottest tech companies on earth. And as you reflect on those bookends, Kyle, probably almost inconceivable to imagine the sheer sophistication in which you now apply data and technology to your role. In 10 years from now, when we bring you back onto Reveal, what are we going to see? If you're willing to you know, cast a projection and you look into Kyle Acey's ball of sort of crystal futuristic, I don't know, Aunt Cleo future telling, any hypotheses there? Wow. Take a, take a technological rate of change that's faster than ever and project out 10 years. What I, what I think is going to happen is I, I think that the sales professionals that truly become masters of the industry and subject matter that they sell are going to have an extreme advantage because technology is going to level the playing field of getting relevant insights to sellers in the moment. Account level insights, persona level insights. And so where five years ago, if you just knew who you sold to, their general priorities, their general problems, you could do pretty well. The sellers that are going to excel 10 years from now are going to understand the problems and personas so deeply that even when the other competition is pulling up their AI sponsor, their their AI generated insights, they're going much deeper in a real human conversation around the emotional elements because they understand it themselves. They're not just regurgitating scripts that are put out by a really smart bot that is all the right things to say, but it's missing that, that connection. So uh, I don't know what technology will look like even a year from now, much less 10 years from now. But I do think that the sellers that really get a deep understanding of the human element, who they sell to, what emotionally motivates them and can speak intelligently to that are going to stand out regardless of technological progression. Well, as you think about the added complexities, the speed at which we'll have to sell, the depth to which we'll need to understand who it is that we're selling to, technology sounds like is going to be the gateway to simply synthesizing those multitudes of dimensions that we're now expected to be able to ingest in short order. I know that was sort of a futuristic zinger, but if you've listened to the podcast, Kyle, then you know how we close out every episode. So this couldn't this this couldn't come probably as a shock to you, but uh, hopefully it's not an ambush. As a as a professional, or is the intent to go make your company stronger by making every individual in the company stronger? If your intent is we're going to go build a great company by getting every single person to hit their capacity as a professional, you're going to have a really hard time going wrong. You're going to have a lot of success deploying all these accelerants. If your intent is how do we go use this technology to drag every single ounce of production from this person up to the point where they burn out and they just leave your company, but they added a lot of value to the bottom line, then yeah, you're, you're probably going to come across ethical issues. You're probably going to come across some legal issues, especially in a lot yeah. of markets that are very employee, positive, very employee protective. But man, like I, I really hope that as people are looking at these accelerants, it's not just to make the company better, it's to go build a really strong, productive, intelligent, high-capacity workforce. Because yeah. that's going to pay off this quarter, next quarter, and for years down the line, right? And your LinkedIn, you talk about the infancy of your sales career. It was a begrudging pivot to becoming an SDR. That was about 10 years ago. 
and the world looked very different 10 years ago. And your role as an SDR looked very different than as an RVP now of one of the hottest tech companies on earth. And as you reflect on those bookends, Kyle, probably almost inconceivable to imagine the sheer sophistication in which you now apply data and technology to your role. In 10 years from now, when we bring you back onto Reveal, what are we going to see? If you're willing to you know, cast a projection and you look into Kyle Acey's ball of sort of crystal futuristic, I don't know, Aunt Cleo future telling, any hypotheses there? Wow. Take a, take a technological rate of change that's faster than ever and project out 10 years. What I, what I think is going to happen is I, I think that the sales professionals that truly become masters of the industry and subject matter that they sell are going to have an extreme advantage because technology is going to level the playing field of getting relevant insights to sellers in the moment. Account level insights, persona level insights. And so where five years ago, if you just knew who you sold to, their general priorities, their general problems, you could do pretty well. The sellers that are going to excel 10 years from now are going to understand the problems and personas so deeply that even when the other competition is pulling up their AI sponsor or their, their AI generated insights, they're going much deeper in a real human conversation around the emotional elements because they understand it themselves. They're not just regurgitating scripts that are put out by a really smart bot that is all the right things to say, but it's missing that, that connection. So uh, I don't know what technology will look like even a year from now, much less 10 years from now. But I do think that the sellers that really get a deep understanding of the human element, who they sell to, what emotionally motivates them, and can speak intelligently to that, are going to stand out regardless of technological progression. Well, as you think about the added complexities, the speed at which we'll have to sell, the depth to which we'll need to understand who it is that we're selling to, Technology sounds like is going to be the gateway to simply synthesizing those multitudes of dimensions that we're now expected to be able to ingest in short order. I know that was sort of a futuristic zinger, but if you've listened to the podcast, Kyle, then you know how we close out every episode. So this couldn't this this couldn't come probably as a shock to you, but uh, hopefully it's not an ambush. As you heard, Kyle's mantra, there are no shortcuts in sales, supports the latest Salesforce state of the Connected Customer Report from 2022, in which research found 86% of buyers value the human element in sales. They want to feel like they're dealing with a real person who understands their needs, can help them solve their actual problems, as opposed to a robot. Yes, AI and automation can be helpful tools that can get you there, can support getting you there, but they should not be used entirely as a replacement for human interaction. Going back to what Kyle mentioned, the future success of sellers depends on their ability to connect with clients and comprehend their emotional requirements. Enough from me. Let's go back to the master, Kyle himself, and hear more. Kyle, after that futuristic zinger, let's simplify sales into this, which is if you could describe sales in just one word, what one word would it be? Emotion. Tell us more. People make decisions based on how they feel, then they validate it with logic. And so every interaction, whether it's coaching, whether it's selling, it's all about what is the emotion I want this person to feel after this conversation and what action they're going to take based on that emotion. Um, 
that I, that, that's what I'm, I'll, I'll build my career around, around that concept. Cause I've seen time and time again, deals lost that made perfect sense to a buyer. The ROI was there. The business case was there. And I've seen deals that are one where the ROI was eh, the business case was flawed, but there was compelling emotion that the buyer felt that got the deal through. And so I, I think sales is all about emotion. And this is not about manipulating emotion. Like this is not about tricks or tips to go get your buyer to feel a certain way. It's understanding deeply what your buyers are worried about, what they want to gain for themselves personally, and then bridging the gap to where they're going to feel more secure, safer with a solution and helping them make the right decision. But it all, it all comes down, in my opinion, to the emotional element. Well, I'm smiling on the other side of that answer as a fellow student of behavioral economics, as a deep nerd when it comes to buyer psychology and having read multiple times now, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. I've seen success in my own career appreciating how the brain is hardwired and to, as you described, not manipulate subversively or, I don't know, in a mercurial way, the human psyche, but to at least meet human beings where they're at. As you described, we are emotional creatures and to sequence our understanding first of how that brain is inherently predictably going to respond to a catalyst or a prompt or in our case, a prospecting message or how a deal is structured. Well, if we meet the brain where it's at to then follow in suit with logic, is it fair to say that that's a, a synopsis or a synthesis of your argument that emotion will always trump logic in the world of sales? Not that, again, there isn't a place for logic, but that we have to sequence things appropriately. Yeah, you're, you're not even going to get to the place where logic can rule favorably for you if you're not able to create that emotional connection first. And so while logic is critical, that we have to, the CFO still has to sign, you're going to have a really hard time getting somebody to push the proposal to the CFO's desk if they're not emotionally engaged with you and intrinsically motivated to find a better afterstate with your solution. So yeah, I think that's a great synthesis. Well, for anyone out there that's thinking about purchasing Mongo or for people that are on the receiving end of Kyle's disciples at Mongo, be on the lookout for some incredibly crafty and well thought out, emotionally forward sales approaches. And if you're not a buyer or the recipient of Mongo's efforts, Kyle, tell us a little bit about where people can go to better understand your playbooks and your frameworks. Because as someone who is clearly among the deepest, most philosophical thinkers, I want to make sure all of our listeners have access to your pearls of wisdom. Yeah. So I, I post a lot on LinkedIn. So I, I try to share pretty much everything that I think is valuable. And then if you want a really easy way to access all of my best frameworks in, in one place, uh, you can go to salesintroverse.com where I, where, I, where, I, where I host those. Tell us a little bit just about that name because you don't oftentimes see sales and introverts in the same sentence. Yeah, it came because I, um, I struggled early on, never thinking I could excel in sales because I didn't fit the mold of a natural salesperson. Very introverted, not one to get excited about dinner with executives or go out golfing with, with executives. And then I, I realized a few years in that I could have success, not despite of being an introvert, but because I'm an introvert. And so I, I, I chose that name because I want to encourage a lot of people that might feel like they're at a disadvantage 
because of their more quiet personality that you're not. In fact, there's a lot of ways that you're at an advantage, and I want to help shine a light on the the unique advantages that introverts have. It's not just the the polished extroverts that are doing well in sales. Well, we started the episode talking about how your colleague James is standing the RevOps role on its head. And I just can't thank you enough for dispelling the belief, well, to be successful in this role, you look a prototypical way. You sound a predictably extroverted, I don't know, almost bravado-like way. And to open this profession, which is so invaluable as far as the lessons it provides its participants, to all different types of personas, introverts and extroverts alike have equal footing and purpose in this role. So you're doing an amazing job of evangelizing sales to a broader swath of people, Kyle. I sincerely can't thank you enough. Thank you, Danny. I I appreciate that. It's been a lot of fun. Well, you now know where to go to find Kyle AC online. We're talking to Kyle, the RVP of high tech for all of North America at MongoDB. This has been an absolute treat. And I look forward to bringing you back for more deep philosophical future telling with Kyle AC. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Danny. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performance sales teams, well, head on over to gong.io. And along the way, if you like what you heard, come on, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.